Yesterday, I had a great uh, little gift given to me by Caleb. Comes walking in. They had been at Fashion Valley, and he gave me this little sea sucker. And you know what it says on it? It says, thankful. Isn't that cool? And that's exactly what our series is. That's what we've been talking about last week and today. And I'm excited about just, again, talking about being thankful and becoming more thankful in our lives. You know, for the most part, I think that um, thankful has been lost. Uh, it, it, It probably has to do with the way that we were taught. Now, I'm not opposed to parents teaching kids this, but I think sometimes that as kids, we were taught the magic words. Anybody know what the magic words were? Please and thank you. Yeah. And I'm all for teaching our kids this. I think it's important. We've got Shannon and baby Elijah with us. I can't even call him baby Elijah anymore because he's like a little man, a little man Elijah. Um, And we want him to learn please and thank you. And so Shannon's really good at telling, you know, say please, you know, say thank you. And it's really important for us. But, But somehow these words thank you, have become connected to only receiving good things. Um, In the Bible, though, thank you, being thankful, thankfulness, has nothing to do with experiencing good or bad, with, with bad or good happening to me. It has nothing to do with that. Being thankful, and you want to get this down because this is the crux of what we're going to talk about today. Being thankful is recognizing who God is and what God has done in my life. Being thankful is recognizing who God is and what God has done in my life. It's knowing who God is. It's realizing that. It's being aware of that. And then it's remembering all that God has done in our lives. The Apostle Paul talks about thankfulness so much in the New Testament. You can't really read any of his letters that he has written to Christians and Christian leaders in in all over the Mediterranean rim. You you can't read those letters without coming across the time when Paul talks about being thankful. Colossians 3.15 says this. Come on, read it with me. Always be thankful. What's the key word? Always. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one. Um, uh, Again, in Ephesians 5, he's writing to the people at Ephesus. Look what he says. Give thanks for everything to God. What's the key word? Everything everything. And then if you still question what Paul's trying to get across, this is the good one. I like this one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Be thankful in, well, let's read that again. (laughs) Be thankful in all circumstances. Oh, then he really pushes it. For this is God's will for you. So many times we're looking for God's will in our life. Oh, I wonder what God's plan is for my life. I can tell you one thing for sure. He wants you to be thankful in all circumstances in all good and bad Hmm. and yet most of us I mean if we were to turn right now and form groups and share things that we're thankful for I I almost guarantee none of us in this room would tell something that happened that was bad I'm so thankful that I got a flat tire this week no We, we would never Say the bad things. We only say the good things. We aren't very thankful when we face bad things. Why? Because it's easy to be thankful for things that are good, right? It only makes sense. It's logical, right? I mean, bad times are difficult. Bad times are stressful. Bad things cause worry. And and what's interesting is Paul addresses this 
In a popular passage that we've talked about several times here at Pathway Church, you probably know this passage. It's, it's one of those passages that's kind of on coffee mugs and on these little artwork things, and you can just buy this just about anywhere. But it's Philippians 4, and I want you to take a look at this, and we're going to kind of unpack this and then see how it plays out in an actual life story that took place in a guy's life. Take a look at what Paul says in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about Everything. So don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. How many of you do the second part really well? Okay, let me ask. How many of you do the first part really well? Wow. Okay, so we got to work on both parts then, right? I mean, we, it's hard to not worry. Anybody else like me in that where you just worry? I mean, there's just certain things that, I mean, you don't worry all the time. You're not a crazy worrier, you know, you some of you are, but anyway, most of us aren't, all right? But there are certain things that just trigger us, and, and we worry. Um, don't worry, Paul says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Hmm. Now, what's interesting is worry leads, leads us to a bunch of what-ifs. And I don't know if you kind of played this out in your mind when you're worrying, but I do. I'm one of these kind of people that, oh man, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this person does that? And what if that person thinks this? And what if this situation just blows up? What if this situation doesn't go the way I want it to? What if, what if, what if? And these what ifs lead, leave us trapped in our own heads and they cripple us to the point of either no action or overreaction. And that's what worry does to us. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches, and we won't go there today, but it's a great passage. Jesus teaches about worry, and basically what he says is worry messes up your perspective. So would you turn to the person next to you, and in the words of Jesus, would you just tell them, worry messes you up? Come on, just tell them. Worry messes you up. It's true. It messes up our perspective. Worry causes us, causes the issue rather, to become bigger than they really are, and, and it, it causes us to, to miss God in the picture, Jesus tells us that worry causes us to lose sight of what God can do and who he is. Now, now, the interesting part of that is if you tie that back into the definition I just gave you about being thankful, if worry causes us, just put the dots together, if worry causes us to lose sight of who God is and what God does, we can counter that, Right? By being what? Thankful. If being thankful is recognizing who God is and what God has done, we can counter worry with thankfulness. And I don't know if you've ever put those two together in the same line of thought, but it's real important because Paul does it all the time. It's real important for us to realize that, you know, it, I hate it when somebody says like Jesus, or, or Paul rather here says, don't worry. Don't you hate it when people tell you that? Oh, don't worry about it. It's like, dude, you're not dealing with this, right? That's what you want to say back to them. Okay, put yourself in my shoes, you know, right? Don't tell me not to worry about this because you don't face this every day. You're not waking up to this tomorrow. And yet, for us to counter this worry with realizing who God is and recognizing what God has done, it's a way to fight it. We're going to see this in just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. So I'm real excited about this. Paul calls us to deal with worry in a different way. He says what? To pray about everything. You know what he's saying? He's saying, go to God. Don't worry. Go to God. 
Don't, don't sit there and stew on things and let things just roll in your head and hit rewind and play it again and again. And No, go to God. Tell God what you're feeling. Tell God what you're facing and that you don't know what to do. Stop trying to do things on your own. Go to God. Look what Paul says. Tell God what you need. And, read this with me, thank him for all he has done. So with your prayer, you're saying, God, I need this. I know you can do this because you did this before. I know that you can handle this because you came through in this way before in my life. In fact, you came through five and six times like this. And so I know that this is just minor to you because you came through in major ways here. This is just petty. This is just little. This is small. And you're such a great big God. You can handle this. You can do this. Tell God what you need. Engage in conversation with God. Tell him what you need. And as you do that, remember all that he has done for you. It's a matter of of posture. It's, It's a worship posture. An ungrateful person makes demands on God. They skip that second part and they just tell God what they want, what they need. God, you've got to do this. You said in your word, God, that you would always provide for me and here I am with no food, no job, whatever, making demands on God. And that's the kind of posture that God doesn't respond to. They feel they're entitled, acting as if God owes them. But a thankful person approaches God with a level of dependence. God, I need you to do this. You've done this in the past, and I've come to you before, and you have come through in those times. And once again, I find myself in this place where I am dependent on you. I need you. And look at what the result is. Paul tells us in verse 7. Then you will experience God's what? Peace. Wait. Didn't say God's answer. It didn't say God's resolution to your issue. It doesn't say that God will fix it. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Paul doesn't say that your problems are going to go away. Paul says that your anxiety, your worry, will be replaced with peace. See, peace is the opposite of anxiety. And this is what God wants to give us. One of the best examples that I find of this is in 2 Chronicles 20. And by the way, this is a story that I love. It's one of those Old Testament stories that I go to quite often. I love this story. The date was 750 B.C. The place was the city of Jerusalem, and the man was Jehoshaphat. He was a good king of the nation of Judah. He was doing what God was telling him to do. And we read in 2 Chronicles 17 that Jehoshaphat was deeply committed to the ways of of the Lord. Now, if you know anything about the history of the nation of Israel or Judah, <clears throat> you know anything about their kings. If you read, you know, the books in the Bible of First Kings or Second Kings or Chronicles, you see that not all kings were good, just like our world, right? Not all presidents are good. Not all leaders are good. Not, not all world leaders are good. Some are good, some are bad. In this case, not all followed God. But in this situation, Jehoshaphat was one that followed God. He leaned into God, and God blessed him for that commitment. But guess what? Things change. Sometimes, hang on, I'm going to blow your world here. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. 
Take a look. Three nations come against Judah without warning. The armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at En Gedi. And we read that and we have no idea what they're talking about because we don't know the geography. But we can key in on one word. They are already at En Gedi. You know what he's saying? They're 40 miles away. Life-threatening danger is 40 miles away. So you have no time to mobilize an army. You have no time to really do anything. I mean, what should we do when we can't do anything? When, when all hell is breaking loose against us, when the worst possible is happening, what should we do? Jehoshaphat shows us. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. What did he do? He told God what he needed. Do you see this working out? This is exactly what Paul said. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Go to God. And he goes to God and he's telling God. And you'll see this. He's telling God what he needs. It says he ordered, Jehoshaphat ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. When fear grips us, when, when worry overwhelms us, when our lives are threatened, when we're in total desperation, the best place to go is God. Notice what he prays. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah, so all the people at the temple of the Lord, and this is what he prayed. O Lord, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. Here it is. No one can stand against you. You know what he's doing? He's remembering and realizing and recognizing who God is. No one can stand against you, he says. Oh God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Jehoshaphat is declaring his faith in a really big God. He's saying, God, I realize who you are and how big you are and all that you have done for us. And this little army that is coming against us is nothing to you. It's big to us, but it's nothing to you. I have this little sign in my office that says, um, tell your problems. I just lost how it goes here. But anyway, basically tell your problems that you serve, your small problems that you have a big God. And so often we get that reversed. And we think that our problems are so big and we forget how big our God is. And Jehoshaphat, he's realizing, God, you are so big, no one compares to you. No one can stand against you. Look what he says. Your people settled here and built this temple. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before the temple. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. He's remembering the history of his people and all the times that God has come through. Look what he says. And now, I, I realize how big you are. Here's this issue that we need you to resolve. And now, see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. We are powerless. What he's saying, we are helpless 
We're desperate. We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. And here's the verse that I have hung on to for years here at Pathway. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. We do not know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. It's a cry of dependence, saying, God, we're completely dependent on you. This is beyond us. This is overwhelming us. We have no idea what we're supposed to do. And look at how God responds. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, and he said, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your position, stand still, and watch the Lord's victory. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Man, what a word, right? Wouldn't you love to have somebody speak those kind of words into your life when you're being overwhelmed by a situation, when you don't know what to do and you're crying out to God? Wouldn't you have loved to have somebody stand up and say, you need to hear this? Friends, you need to hear this today. Maybe you're in this room and you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling like you don't know what to do. Maybe you're feeling like this is a situation that is beyond your control and maybe you've been dealing with it for a while. You need to know that God is fighting your battle. You need to know that God is with you, that he's not only going before you, that he's with you and you won't have to fight this. He will. What was the response of the people? King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah did the same, worshiping the Lord. So early the next morning, the army of Judah went out. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped. And look at what he says. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. And instead of putting his best soldiers, his best warriors on the front line, you know what he did? Look what it says. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him. Now, think about this. Military strategists, they say that the, the best element in warfare is the element of surprise. It's so important in battle to hit the enemy when they least expect it. But this army of Judah, they are giving the element of surprise up because they are worshiping loudly. They are singing as a group loudly as they're moving forward, as they're coming to face this, this army that's against them. And here they come down the road singing as loud as possible. And the scripture tells us this is what they sang. Come on, read it with me. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And I believe it was a chant. Most researchers believe this was just a chant that they would repeat and they would sing it. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now, you got to ask the question, how can they possibly give thanks in a time like this? I mean, they're staring down the barrel of the enemy, pointed right at them, marching right into battle, how can you possibly give thanks in a moment like this? 
You only can when God has told you the battle is his and the victory is sure. And that's what he had told his people here. If facing a crisis like this, what song do you choose to sing? I mean, think about it. When you're facing a crisis, maybe it's this week or maybe you've been facing it this past week, you're facing a crisis, what song do you choose to sing? Is it one of thanks, thanksgiving to God and thankfulness to God for what he's done? Or is it a song of, woe is me, I'm going to go eat worms. You, know, you guys ever remember that song when you were a kid? There's a, there's a song, I forgot how it goes now. Somebody help me out. You guys remember? What was that? Everybody hates me. Yeah, nobody likes me. I'm going to go eat worms. You know? Okay, That's, it's one of those, one, is that the song that you choose is it, is it a song of defeat? Is it a song of stress? Or is it a song of thanksgiving saying, God, I give you thanks. Because I know what you can do. You've done it in the past. Hmm. Here's something I've learned, and I want you to get this down. This is an important principle for us. I can be thankful at all times, because that's what Paul tells us to. I can be thankful at all times, because God is faithful in all ways. It's the only way that you and I can possibly be thankful at all times, in every situation, in every circumstance, is to realize that God is faithful in all ways. And, and a thankful heart is at peace, knowing that even though we don't know what God is doing, he's doing it. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I find peace in that. Sometimes I'll lay in bed, and that's what I will pray, God, <clears throat> I don't know what to do about this. Maybe you're like me in this. I'll, I'm, I can't get to sleep, and I'll say, God, I don't know what to do about this. And I trust that you are doing something. I don't know what you're doing. I don't see what you're doing, because it doesn't appear that anything is happening. But I trust that you're doing something. And it's in those moments that I can rest, that I can find peace. God is always faithful to come through. So let me tell you the story, the end of the story. We've got to do that before we get out of here, right? Look at the end of the story. At the very moment they began to sing. Don't miss this. At the very moment they began to sing. Don't ever tell me, listen, don't ever tell me that worship doesn't mean anything. I mean, I've talked to people before, then they say, in a, in a church world, you know, they say, well, you know, I, I don't mind being late on a Sunday because it's not a big deal if I miss singing songs. I just come for the message. Because you know, pastor, that's the most important part. Oh, come on. But what does this say? This is, this is worship going forth. And, and the moment they began to sing is when God started doing what he wanted to do. This was worship-based battle. Wow. What it says. At the mo very moment they began to sing and give praise... The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies turned against their allies and killed every one of them. Now, I don't know what happened. Researchers, this is one of those stories where they're like, who knows? Okay? No one really, but they turned on themselves. The enemies turned on themselves, and it says, so when the army of Judah arrived, they hadn't even got there yet. 
When they arrived singing, what were they singing? Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And here they come and they arrive and maybe they're just, you know, getting up on this hill. I don't know. I'm just thinking. And they look over the hill and it says all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Huh. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Isn't that amazing? King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. Man, that's a haul, isn't it? And on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. Uh, we're not done though. Don't miss this last part. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at, what's that word? Peace. Wait, 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 wait. Remember what Paul said? Do, do you Remember? I mean, this is kind of going right along. I mean, Jehoshaphat and the people are experiencing exactly what Paul said. Remember, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Remember their song, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Then you will experience God's, what was it? Peace. Hmm. So as we wrap off today, I've asked the, uh, the music team to come up. I want you to circle two words. I want you to circle two words in this passage that Paul uses in Philippians 4. It's the two words, thank him. Tell God what you need and thank him. Say it with me. Thank him. Thank him. In all four passages that we've used this morning, on your outline we've seen on the screens, all four that we have used from the Apostle Paul, Paul uses the same Greek word, for being thankful, for giving thanks, for thanking him. In fact, in most of his letters, he uses this same word. And I find this amazing. This is one of those little um, uh, truth nuggets that you only stumble upon sometimes when you're looking at the Bible. This, this phrase, thank him, comes from a Greek word, and we've talked about this before, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated so we could have it in English. This, this phrase, thank him, comes from this Greek word, eucharisteo. Eucharisteo. What it means is give thanks for grace received. Now the interesting part though is what it's connected with. Jesus uses the same word in Luke 22, do you know what Luke 22 is? It's the passage almost near the cross where Jesus has gathered with his followers, his closest 12, and they're having what's called, we call, the Last Supper. And, and modern Christianity, we've kind of changed that to become communion. And what's interesting is that's the same word that Jesus used when he was giving thanks for the bread, Eucharisteo. Wow, same word. Liturgically, since the second century AD, this is known as the Eucharist. 
you ever come from a liturgical background, Catholic background, Episcopalian background, something like that, you would hear it called the Holy Eucharist. Um, it's, it's where we corporately thank God for Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, which is the basis of our salvation. We are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. But commonly, we, we call it communion. And so of all things, get this, of all things, we, Brooke and I, in our service planning for this week, we had already planned on doing communion together as a church because this is Thanksgiving Sunday, right? And, and here I am putting my message together and I'm seeing all these things and all of a sudden it just comes together and I felt like God said, see, you have so much to be thankful for. Even the fact that my son gave his life on a cross for you. And in that, in that source, in that one element, is what we find in what we find everything we need. Right? Power, love, forgiveness, all of these things. And so I'm going to ask for our greeters, Adrian, Bill, if you guys would come and serve us. And if you would hold the elements till everybody's been served, we're going to partake in communion together and we are going to give thanks for what Jesus has done and what God has given through his son.